I want to start with the, a little bit of observation I've made. It is amazing how dramatically a single game of kickball can change a person's life. Some of you are laughing because you know a story about my life. Uh, it's been a little over a year and a half ago, but I was playing kickball. We have an annual kickball tournament with our church family here. And uh, in a random act of craziness, just a typical kickball kick, I slipped, I fell, fell funny on my arm, dislocated this shoulder, and it was, it was bad. It was, it was ridiculous. And still, to this day, I'm like, what? Why? How? Like, what did that happen? And so if you're wondering how do you dislocate your arm playing kickball, you're, you're asking the same question I am. I have no idea, but it is amazing how much it will affect your life. Um, you know, immediately there were a lot of things I just couldn't do anymore. And then as I began to rehab, which I have rehabbed very well, and I, I can do this. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a big deal. You have no idea. Like, yeah, I mean, just doing crazy things, like reaching all the way into my pocket. Like, that's a big deal. Um, but, but it has altered my life. I mean, starting immediately, I had slept uh, on my bed a certain way for like, what, 32, 33 years, a certain way. You know what? I have to sleep differently now. I can't lay in the certain way that I used to lay. Uh, I used to be a strong swimmer, but it's been a while getting that strength back up, and, and I was learning how to surf, and then now like having to do that, there's a lot of upper body stuff. One thing that's really changed about, uh, about my life, um, though I have rehabbed a lot, is the way that I exercise. I'm way more cautious with certain activities and certain sports, and uh, I used to exercise a lot of upper body stuff. I love to do like weightlifting and things like that. But now I've started doing something really weird and it's kind of scaring me. In fact, for the last five or six months, it's, it's really freaking me out. So maybe you can give me some peace about this. I've started running. Like, yeah, like I run. And here's, I mean, maybe that's not crazy, but this is the weird thing. I kind of like it. <laughs> I know, I know. Because like runners are crazy. It's just those crazy people with the stickers in their car with numbers. They're like, look how many times I ran. And I'm like, I just don't run anywhere. I'm just going to stay where I want to be. But like, I'm kind of, I'm enjoying it. I'm really, I like running. I run, I try to run like four or five days a week. Um, but that's like every other exerciser's lie. Like, you know, four or five, subtract one day. That's more realistic. Um, but like, so, and I'm enjoying it. And I'm learning more about runners and I'm talking to runners. And what's, so here's what's blowing my mind about running. It is this huge industry. I mean, billions of dollars every year going to, to running. Not just the, uh, the, the shoes and the, the clothes, but these races, there's like any kind of K kind of race you want to do. Like you pick a K and there's that many Ks that you can run. And a half marathon and a whole marathon. People are like, I'm going to do a whole marathon and then I'm going to swim across the English Channel. Like why? What's wrong with you? But it's like it's this big thing and people love it. And um, any runners in here today? You guys that like running? Yeah, some of you, and, and you're crazy too, I know. And because uh, I saw who raised their hands. And... Um, <laughs> But here's the thing, it, it's good for us, right? It's good to run, it's, it's, a, good, uh, it's a good aerobic exercise, it gets our whole body engaged. Um, and, and, and what I find is that the average person who is running isn't competing to win a race. Um, typically, they're just trying to either lose some weight or, or be in shape or compete against their own best time. Or at, at, at best, you might get a free t-shirt that costs you $50. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, so I talk about running, and that's how I'm starting out today, because today we're starting a brand new series, uh, and we're looking at an Old Testament book of the Bible called Jonah, and this series is called The Story of Jonah, Man on the Run, and it's really, it's a story at its core, I think, largely about running. We're going to watch this guy, Jonah, as, as he runs in, in all directions. I mean, he's running away from God. Sometimes he runs back to God. Sometimes he runs kind of parallel with God. Most of his life he does that. There's times when he runs ahead of God and kind of gets in his own ballpark place. And, and, and that idea of running, I think, is something that we kind of can all re relate to. I think most of us experience that tension of uh, my relationship with God. In fact, that's what brings us here this morning. 
You're here this morning for a reason. You're here either because of some guilt trip that your spouse gave you or your kids really like the class. I find that a lot of you are here because your kids love what our teachers do. By the way, can we thank the teachers? They can't hear us. Some of you are here, but wow. Um, and, and our kids love to come, but for whatever reason, you're here because of some of this running. You're running towards God. You're running away from something else maybe, or maybe you've been running from God and you looked over your shoulder and you were like, oh, wow, kind of, sorry, you know? And, and for whatever reason, I think that's very core to who we are emotionally, it's who we are spiritually, and, and maybe you're just here kind of exploring that today for the first time. Um, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I want to challenge that thought. Maybe it's because you've kind of just been running around, and you're like, I want to, I want to get set on a certain direction. And so we're, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to watch the life of Jonah, but we're going to also ask ourselves some, some probing and probably tough questions, questions like, where am I running in this journey of life? Where am I headed? And, and like, who am I running with? And is there something I'm running from? And am I running towards anything in particular? I mean, those are just some generic questions about running. And think about the directions of your life. If you've got a Bible, uh, grab it. We're going to turn over to the tiny book of Jonah. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones underneath most, some of the chairs. Uh, if you need one to have, you can keep one of those. They're free to take home with you. The scripture will also be on the, the screen behind me. But the book of Jonah is tiny. It's probably like two pages in your Bible, especially if you have one of these Bibles from the seats because the, the type is really small. Um, so here's what I recommend. If you don't know your Old Testament very well, that's okay. A lot of us don't. Flip to the beginning, to the index. Just look for Jonah. It starts with J, ends with Ona. And flip over there, and you'll find it. And it's a really tiny book, but it's, got, it's packed with a, a really big story. Um, if you've ever heard about the story of Jonah, I mean, people who don't even know about much about Christianity, they, they may have heard about the story of Jonah. What is the first thing, be honest, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when we talk about Jonah? Like a whale or a fish, right? A big fish. And so, like, that's me too. I'm right there with you. It's like, it's, it's this story, it's, 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 there's this big fish in it. Um, it's a story about the Bible, about this guy who gets swallowed by a great fish. It doesn't say that it was a whale. I'm not going to split hairs and tell you that it wasn't, because I wasn't there. Um, but there was a large fish, and it swallowed Jonah, and it's a pretty tall tale if we're honest, right? I mean, it's kind of, really? That really happened? And, uh, and, and it's got us in a place where a lot of us have a hard time believing stories like that. Um, I want to kind of set the record straight for myself. I believe that it is entirely possible that this is a historical event. Some people believe that it's just an allegory, it's just a metaphor. It's, Jesus tells a lot of parables, right? And he tells stories that whether they happen in history or not, the point of the story is still true. And though that is a possibility for the story of Jonah, I'm going to tell you some things that I understand about God God does incredible things. I believe that God, the God of Jonah, was the God who created the universe and set things into motion. I believe that he sustains the world that we live in. I believe that he created all of things in nature. And so controlling and commanding one small fish to him and a big fish to us is really not that big of a deal. I think that it's entirely possible that this is an actual historical event. But more than that, the reason why I think it's a real historical event is because Jesus thought it was a real event. Uh, you can read about it. You don't have to flip in your Bibles unless you want to, but I'll have it on the screen. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus is talking about his own crucifixion, death, death, burial, and resurrection. And he says this. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he was talking about uh, being buried and then resurrecting in three days, which is a much huger miracle by God than just providing a fish to do something. And then Jesus continues talking about the story, and he talks about the people of Nineveh, which is the people in the story. And so um, I, I believe that it's entirely possible that this was a, a, a real historical event, and I have faith that God could do it. And so that's just where I am on this. 
As far as Jonah goes, we don't know a ton about him. Um, he's got the story of Jonah, and we don't get much of his biography from that story. But it does show up in another book of the Bible, in the book of 2 Kings. Uh, we learn a little bit about Jonah. We learn that he was a prophet. A prophet is a messenger from God. Uh, God will kind of uh, deliver some sort of insight or message to, to a, a person to speak to the people of Israel, the Jews in the Old Testament. Jonah was one of those. Uh, and he lived, based on the history that's happening in 2 Kings, he lived during the Assyrian Empire, probably sometime in the first half of the 8th century. And so if you're a history buff, you can kind of place him along there. And so this is Jonah. And, and here's what we know about him from 2 Kings. Previous to this story, Jonah, previous to the story uh, of the fish, Jonah had a fairly prosperous prophetic career. Uh, he mainly gave good news. He basically said things like, hey, I want to let everybody know there's going to be a battle, but we're going to win. And the prophets that have messages like that, they tended to be pretty popular, um, just like in our world today. If you say anything that is somewhat negative, people are like, oh, you're just a naysayer. Well, Jonah had had, for the most part, the opportunity to share good news from God until the story we read today. He's got some bad news, and his whole life kind of shifts, and we get to see how Jonah reacts to that. And he's not so happy, and he does what a lot of us, I think, do when we learn truth about God that doesn't exactly get us excited right away. He runs. Let's just look into it. I, I love this story because uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't get real fluffy in the beginning. It jumps right in. So we're going to jump right in. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along or in your Bibles. And this is where it starts. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Pause there. We're just going to kind of unpack that little idea right there. This is kind of uh, Prophets 101. Okay, this is how most of the prophets got, uh, got their messages from God. God would be like, hey, you're doing what you're doing right now? Excuse me, i got to tell you something. And he would tell them something, and then they would have to go tell a group of people. That's just the way that, that's the way that prophecy worked. Jonah was going along his regular business, and he hears the voice of God. And sometimes when you read stuff like that in the Bible, at least I find this to be true, I read that and I just kind of glaze over it like, wow, God spoke to that person. But what? God spoke to this person? Like, what would you do if, God, if an audible voice from God comes into your head? And like, you, you're, you're certain I'm not crazy. I'm not hearing voices like, this is God talking. I get freaked out when Siri tries to give me directions on my phone. I'm like, how does it work? <laughs> what? You know, and this is God and he's telling you something and you know because it's God and his spirit is right up on you. You're like, this is true. This is God. This is undeniable. Uh, this isn't Jonah's first rodeo, but I can't imagine that this is something that you get used to, right? I mean, eventually you're just like, hey, that's, wow, God, God's talking to me. And so God says, go to the great city of Nineveh, and you would think that if God tells you to do something in an audible voice, you'd be like, okay, whatever I was doing, that's not important anymore. I'm going to go do that now. But what we find is that's actually not always true, and it wasn't true for Jonah. He doesn't just go straight to the city of Nineveh. Uh, let's just pick it up at verse 3. It'll be on the screen here. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord. Let's see what he did. He headed for Tarshish. We'll learn about that in a minute. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah runs. And, and when Jonah hears this new assignment, he freaks out. And when you see that, you're like, whoa. What's the big deal? Like, Jonah, you've been prophesying, you know, I don't know how long, but for a while now, you would think that Jonah would be like, okay, this is my next assignment. But he freaks out, and he runs away. But why? As you unpack this, I think there's a couple of reasons why. The first one, I don't think any of us would have just 
grabbed onto immediately. But it's something that Jonah didn't miss. And it was this. You got to understand, when a prophet spoke, when he, when he taught, he generally spoke to a certain type of people in a certain type of place. And let me tell you what these type of people were. Jewish people. Because the Jews were the ones who believed in this God. So, I mean, why would you go talk to somebody else who didn't believe in this God about what this God said? Why would they care? You know, other people believed in, in other spirits and things like that. And so, you know, why would, why would they believe what I have to say? Anyway, Jonah hears, I got to go to Nineveh. That's a foreign city. They don't even worship my God. Like, at least here I can be a little bit of a rock star. And if they get mad at me, I can be like, well, pff, you know what's going to happen to you. You should look at our history, right? But you go to this, this foreign land, are they going to eat me up and spit me out? Like, why? Why would I even go there? We find out later as we kind of read in the context of what's happening. I don't think Jonah even wanted foreigners to know about his God. I think it's possible that Jonah might have had a little bit of racism in him. If not racism, at least some nationalistic pride. Like, I I don't want to get out there. Don't judge him too quick, though. Because I think there's a bigger reason why maybe Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it has to do not with who he was going to go see, but with where he had to go. Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the principal cities of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were well known for being an extremely brutal and violent people to anybody who wasn't Assyrian. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into the gory details of the things, but the the way that they treated women and children of their enemies is, oh man, it's just sickening. You, you can read about it, Wikipedia, that, that thing, man. It's, 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 it's messed up. And then uh, the ways that they would torture their uh, adversaries. Unthinkable. Now, the Assyrians were an evil, evil people. And honestly, the things that um, ISIS is doing today, it, it almost, compared to the Assyrians, it almost looks like they're amateurs. Like they're not even trying. I'm telling you, that's how bad the Assyrians were. And so Jonah gets this message from God. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to them. Tell them that they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, um, no thank you, God. I mean, you, why don't you go speak to their heads? Because <laughs> that would be great. Because I don't want to go there. Because I've seen what they do to their enemies. I see what they do to people who oppose them. I've seen the, the, the burned remains of cities, or I've heard about the things they've done, the people who stand against them. You want me, by myself, to walk in and be like, uh, excuse me, everybody, yeah, I'm Jonah. Uh, yes, I'm from down the road, Jerusalem, yeah. Uh, God's really angry, and he's going to destroy your city. Now, if you'll all just sign up here, we can get you straight. No, Jonah's terrified. And so he does what a lot of us do when we hear that God wants us to do something that we don't want to do. He runs. And I don't know about you, but there have been some things in my life that God wants me to do that I just don't want to do. I've never heard an an audible voice from God like that with a clear directive, like, go to Wilmington. I mean, I didn't didn't, like hear that, but Jonah does. But like, I, I know through reading the Bible and through getting, I mean, I believe seriously that God gives us definite nudges with his Holy Spirit and through his people and from reading the Bible and from just living life and watching and seeing what God has available. There are things that God wants from me that I don't want to do. Do you know, do you know that God uh, wants us to forgive people? Like, I mean, I'm talking about like everybody. He wants us to be forgiving people, even when people do bad things against us. I'm like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> do you know, do you know what what they said? Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did to my family? Do you know what they did to that person? And God's like, right, uh, I'll deal with that. But you need to let that go. You need to, I'm like, I don't want to do that. God tells us to forgive people. Do you know God tells us to be generous? And like, I think we're a generous people, like, I mean, in general, but sometimes, you know, you're down to your, you know, your, your last couple dollars and somebody else really needs it. And you're like, yeah, but I had saved this for that soda I was going to get after work. And 
kind of like my soda, so <laughs> maybe you could go be homeless another day. I don't know what you can do. You know what I mean? But God says you should be generous. And with that, he says we should be humble. We should put other people's needs above our own needs. And it piles on you like, God, I don't want to do that. You know what God tells us? He says that we should consider our suffering as joy. What? God, do you know the definition of the word suffering? It means I don't enjoy this. He's like, no, no, no. When, when you are in suffering, it's in that place that you can learn to trust me. So you need to consider your suffering as joy. You know one thing he tells us? We learned about this. We were studying the Sermon on the Mount, a couple things. You know, one thing he says is that we should not uh, worry, but we should trust him. Um, I like to worry. He says that we should love our enemies. You know, God, he's always up to something where he's telling us to do something that I don't want to do. And you know what I like to do? Go that way. I like to run away. Jonah, he runs. Let's, let's, let's look again at verse 3. It said, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. But, but before I do, I think, I think we'll understand it this way. Like when, with most things, uh, there, there is like a, a spectrum uh, of, of extremes. And so when it comes to disobedience, let's, let's, you know, obviously God tells Jonah to do something and Jonah disobeys, right? But there is a spectrum of disobedience, isn't there? Like here's one example. Uh, in my car, in my car, in my back seat, I've got this amazing thing because I have two children. Uh, I've got this imaginary line in the middle of the back seat. You guys got one of those? Those things are great, man. And here's the rule. Do not cross the imaginary middle line and touch your sister. Do not cross the imaginary middle line and mess with your brother. That's a law at our house. Like, it is a law. It's like punishable by all kinds of craziness. Do not cross that line. Why? I don't care if she's offering you a french fry. I don't care if you dropped your Hot Wheels. Leave it there. It is dead to you. Do not cross that line. Right? And I get a little little hot about the line. I'm sorry. But because inevitably, what happens? Cross the line. It's not, maybe it's like, I didn't cross the line. They're like, I, my kids pass notes across the line. They're like, I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, well, then, then one day, like, they made like an airplane. They're like, we threw it across the line. I was like, what are you doing? Now, here's the thing. Um, in the grand scale of all the bad things my kids are going to do in their life, it's like down here, right? Like, it's not a big deal. Crossing the line. I want them to obey me. I want them to honor me. I want them to, look. but the truth is, we all know this, like when they, they like each other, like maybe they lose their minds every now and then they get in a fight. The rule is there's a line because nothing good comes from crossing the line in the car, like nothing. Um, but occasionally they forget, right? We all do that. We got a little thing. And in, in the scale, the spectrum of disobedience, that's like on the small end, right? You cross the line and typically it's honest mistake. Ah, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, dad. Or I just dropped my pencil, whatever. And so they, they come over. On the other side of the spectrum, your kids are teenagers. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and they sneak out of their bedroom window to go to a party that you told them not to go to. You didn't accidentally do that. That wasn't like a oopsie. Like, here I am hanging from my sheets, crawling down. No, like this, there was a deliberate, it was premeditated, it was calculated, it was disobedience. And so on the scale, the spectrum of disobedience between cross the line because of a little slip up or like deliberately, premeditatedly, calculated, calculating disobedience, Jonah has calculated this move. He is running away. Let's learn what he does. He runs to Tarshish. When he gets there, 
But, but to get there, he has to travel 60 miles to this little city or this port city called Joppa. Uh, Joppa is not a thing we talk about today. It's now modern day Tel Aviv. Uh, so it's right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It is 60 miles from his house. Here's an important detail. 60 miles west of his house. Do you know, guess, just guess, if you don't know your geography of the Middle East, just guess, which direction from his house do you think Nineveh is? East. He's like, and Nineveh's that way? Let's see, Joppa. <laughs> 60 miles. But that isn't good enough. He gets to the port, and he, he seeks out a boat headed to Tarshish. You've got to understand, Tarshish is this, this Phoenician settlement in, in the, on the coast of Spain, Okay? across the Mediterranean Sea. And he doesn't like stow away on a boat like, shh, don't tell the captain. No, he reaches in his pocket, he grabs his money bag, and he buys a ticket. The dude came prepared. He deliberately premeditated this escape. God says go this way, and he says, I'm gonna do everything in my power to get as far away. Tarshish is, I think, 2,500 miles from where he lived. And God told him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah heads in the opposite direction. And you know what I found in this life? That <laughs> when God asks me to do something, especially something that I don't want to do, I can always find a boat sailing in a different direction. They are everywhere. They are all over the place. I can always find different advice. I can always find a different place to, uh, to spend my money. I can always find a different group of people to hang out with. I can always find an alternate option for whatever it is that God wants me to do. I can find a different attitude to have. There is always a boat headed to Tarshish. And I find I don't have to travel 60 miles to get there. It's normally like right there. There are some of us here today who are running from something that God has asked us to do. We're running in the opposite direction. God said go east, and we've decided to go west, and I don't know where you are on that scale. It might be that you didn't even realize you were going you didn't really know any better. It might be that you're running at full speed and you look over your shoulder just to make sure that he's not looking. But we run, don't we? We run. And, and we say things like, God, I'll do anything for you. Ooh, but I won't do that. I'll do anything to say, oh, but not that. There's no way I can love that person. There's no way I can forgive that situation. That's impossible. I'm not going to give up that habit. I'm not going to give up that relationship. Not going to do it. I'll do anything but that. And, and I want to call that what it is. Running from God, that's sin. It's sin, and that's not just some dirty church word that we're like, oh, yeah, here we go, we're talking about sin again. No, sin, is, it's a real thing. It is a wall between us and God. Because of his purity, his holiness, because of his perfection, our sin doesn't, uh, doesn't mesh with that. He, he, didn't, he can't have us in his presence when we're filthy with our own sin. And when we run from God and we don't have any way to clean that off on our own, it's sin. Running from God is sin. Um, in the book of James, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says this. He says, anyone who knows the good he ought do and doesn't do it, sins. And so sometimes uh, we, we want to get technical about our sin. Like, well, actually... Uh, there's not a verse in the Bible that specifically addresses this one condition that we're dealing with in this moment. And so technically, look, God gave us a conscience for a reason. And, and we know, we know when we're not doing what he wants us to do. And, and if you don't, part of that is just trying to get on the path where he is and try to be among people who are at least trying to seek him. Jonah's made up his mind. But God isn't finished speaking to Jonah yet. Uh, let, let's pick back up. So we'll be in verse four now. 
It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God. Remember, these aren't Jews. They're in Joppa, and uh, these are probably Phoenician sailors. And so they, they weren't Jews. They had their own gods that they worshipped. And so they all called out to their own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Remember, these are professional sailors, like they're, but they're freaking out because this is apparently a really bad storm. But listen to this. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. So the captain goes to him and he says, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And and we'll unpack that just in a second. But my experience has been this, that when God wants your attention, he will get it. And when we ignore him, he will send a storm. Now, that's just been my experience. Maybe you've experienced that too. God loves us so much that sometimes he just will allow our world to get a little shaken up so that we can understand who he is and who we are and get a a pinpoint on which direction we're headed. For Jonah, it was a literal storm with like wind and waves and terrified sailors and all that. Um, For me, it's um, it's been getting caught by someone that I really love in sin, right? And I, and I told myself this sin was, was, was okay and that I had it under control and everything. And then I leaned on this crutch of, I got it under control, I got it under control. But God's like, listen, I need you to throw this sin out of your life. I need you to get it out. And so then, I don't know where he sends this storm. And I get busted in it. Does that happen to you? That kind of thing, and specifically that thing has happened to me on a couple of occasions. And maybe there's moments when God wants you to trust him. And instead of trusting him, we try to just work it out on our own. Yeah, if I could just get like, if I could just work like 15 more hours at work, I think we could fix everything. God's like, what? Your boss is not going to take care of you. I want to take care of you. Will you trust me? And so God allows these storms to come into our life. Ironically, while the world around him is literally falling apart, it says the boat was about to break apart. Did you see where Jonah was? What's Jonah doing? He's like taking a nap. Like, I've met some heavy sleepers, but this dude, he beats them all. He's like, everyone is terrified for their life. He's pitching and, and throwing in the boat, and he's down there in his sleep. And the captain goes down there. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Get up. Call on your God. We're all praying here. Like, get involved. Uh, it's funny that sometimes when you ignore God, uh, the very last thing you do will turn to him in prayer. And all these guys are like, oh, okay, time to pray. Time to pray. We've, we've thrown all the cargo overboard. This is all we've got left. The sailors are convinced that the storm was sent against someone on the boat to punish someone on the boat. And so they decide they're going to go find the guilty party. And so they cast lots. Uh, It's like flipping a coin. It's like drawing straws. Uh, In ancient times, casting lots was a common way to discern truth. Uh, Actually, even the Jews did it. And and so imagine if you have, um, one one way was that they would take colored stones and they would, would, one side would be like black or white and they would like pray about it. And they, God bless this moment. And they would trust that God is going to bless this. They really did it. Some really big decisions in the Bible were made through casting lots. They cast these lots to find out who the guilty party was, and the lot fell to Jonah. And so let's, let's, keep, uh, let's keep reading here. It says, so the lot fell to Jonah, so they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What, what, what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country like? What, who are you? What have you done to make this God so mad that he is flipping the Mediterranean Sea upside down right now? Jonah was busted. He was caught, and he knew it was time to share the truth. And for what it's worth, 
I mean, it's easy to look at Jonah right now and be like, yeah, you're just running from God, you scumbag, like what's wrong with you? But in this moment, he understands, okay, it is time for me to recognize who I am and who God is. And so he does. He kind of gives his testimony. He says this. We'll keep reading. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. He begins to describe God, the one who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. They're like, what, that guy? You, like, you, you, you believe that your God made everything? He said, what have you done? This is interesting. He said, it says that they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I imagine just in like their little small talk through the boat. Hey, where are you from? Cool. Are you Hebrew? Sweet. What you up to? Running from God? Okay. <laughs> and so he'd already told them. Sometimes, a storm will, sometimes God will send a storm to grab your attention. Other times he'll speak in much more subtle yet more powerful ways. Here, God uses an unbeliever to convict Jonah. Someone who didn't believe what he believed, but the words coming out of this guy's mouth are like, what? If you believe that your God is that God, why would you go against him? It's a wake-up call for Jonah. Verse 11, it says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. And I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's interesting what happens next. We'll keep reading. It says, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Remember, these, these aren't like bad people. These aren't the Assyrians. These are just some sailors. Good people don't go around throwing people off boats in the middle of storms. Like, okay, wee, that'll definitely work. So they wanted to like, okay, this guy's crazy. He's telling us to throw him off the boat. Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to try. But they tried everything they could think of. And I imagine that Jonah's sitting there like, guys, seriously, just throw me overboard. Like, this is, this is what needs to happen. And so in verse 14, it says, they cried out to the Lord. This is interesting. People who don't believe in Jonah's God, they pray to Jonah's God right here. It says, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And then, and I imagine they were sick in their stomachs when they did this. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. This next sentence, it cannot be, it cannot be overlooked. And the raging sea grew calm. At this time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. These guys are praying to Yahweh God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jonah, the God of Christians, the God who made the Mediterranean Sea. And in this moment, when they're confronted with his amazing power, they have no no option but to respond in worship. I think that's a pretty cool part of the story. And we don't know what happened to them for the rest of their life. I don't know, like, did they convert to Judaism or, like, move near the temple? or what? I don't know what they did. But in this moment, they recognized the power of Jonah's God. When we stop running from God, everything changes. And even the people around us notice the difference. They're like, whoa, something's different in you. And I, I got to know more about that. And I've seen it. I've seen it right here among stories in this room that it has caused some of you, because of what you've seen in your friend's life or your spouse's life, it's caused some of you to bow down to God. Like, I don't, I don't understand everything about God, but all I know is he's powerful, he's changing their life, and I need to learn more. And the very thing that Jonah didn't want to happen, which was letting the foreigners know about his God, it happens right there on that boat. Um, just goes to show us that 
God's going to get his will done whenever and wherever he wants, with or without us. That's the power of the God we serve. And you can't stop his plans. And so, so we get there. Okay, we get to this point, and we're almost done with our story for today. It's actually going to be like four installments of the story, and then we'll see where we go. But right, this last verse is like the, it's the most important verse of the whole book, and it really gives us the story. This is one of the craziest moments. Okay, verse 17, it says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. End scene. Whoa. Like, this guy went from being God's chosen person. God has a message. He wants him to go share with Nineveh. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, going the wrong way. His life gets turned upside down in a heartbeat. And in a moment, he's like, I I don't know uh, how how to fix this, but I can at least save these sailors. Throw me overboard. There is no reason why Jonah should have not just drowned in that sea. Was he guilty for disobeying God? Did he, like, deliberately, intentionally run from God? But in this moment, God provides a fish. We're going to press pause on the story today, and we'll pick up next week. Uh, don't worry, Jonah, we'll be fine. I don't want to have any spoilers for you. Um, but when I look at the overarching narrative of the story of Jonah, and uh, I really thought a lot about this, and there's probably a lot that you could come up with too, but I think there's one big theme that rises to the top, and it's the theme I want us to walk away with today. Here's the theme. God saves sinners. And let that sink in. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what your, 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 your convictions about God are. But this is what I understand by reading the Bible. And even in this short story about Jonah, God saves sinners. And we don't like to talk about sin. It makes us uncomfortable. And we, and we, we, we call it, we got code words for sins. I do, even in my, my, my group of guys I'm accountable to. And we, we want to share our sins with each other so we can get better. And we'll say stuff like, yeah, I messed up. I had a little stumble. Well, yeah, I had a little... little I tripped up a little bit, but like, it's sin. And sin separates us from God, but God saves sinners. It's what he does because he loves us. And, and he saves us, and I think there's like a, a scale of, of, of types of people that might be represented in this room right now. See, God's, uh, God's biggest concern isn't punishing us for our sin. His biggest concern and his greatest mission is to restore us so that we can have a relationship with him again. He wants to restore people who don't know any better. I think that's the first kind of people he wants to restore. He wants to restore people who don't know any better. Maybe that's you. Like maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home or maybe you're like just getting into church for yourself as an adult for the first time or maybe, uh, maybe you just kind of never really took it seriously and you kind of didn't know any better. Like you know right from wrong, but you're like, I don't know. I mean, is it really that big a deal what I'm doing? God wants to restore people who didn't know any better. Um, and that's why Jonah was called to speak to the people at Nineveh. And that's why God was able to work in the lives of the sailors on the ship. These people weren't following the God of the Jews. But God desperately wants to restore people who don't know any better. He wants to teach them. He wants to guide them. He wants to help them learn. And so if that's you, uh, I just want to encourage you this morning. Like, if you're just starting, like, this literally might be your first day in church. It might be your fifth time ever coming to church or something. This road that you're on, this journey that you're on, I want you to, I want you to know where it's headed. Restoration. It, it's, it's, it's forgiveness and grace of God. It's, it's being rebuilt from the inside out. That's the promise that God has for you. And maybe you're still kind of lost and you're like, I don't even know where do I begin. Like I have this Bible now. Where, I read the first couple pages and that seems, I don't know, that doesn't seem where I need to be right now. And I don't know, like 
I want to tell you something. This is my advice for you. Stick around. Come back one more week. Come back two more weeks. Come back for a month. Stick around. Try to make some relationships. And in the process, be digging and praying and asking the hard questions. This is the kind of place where you don't have to check your questions or your brain at the door. You got big questions and big fears and big doubts about God? Awesome. We got a big God. (laughs) He's good with that. God, God is okay with you if you don't know any better, but he wants to restore you. I think there's another type of people, though, that God restores. And I think that might be a, a lot more of us in the room today. God wants to restore the runners, the people who are going along in life, and we look over our shoulder, and we're like, either we're like, oh, shoot, or we're like, ha, 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 catch me, sucker. And whatever the case, God wants to restore the runners, the people who, who do know God, who know about him, but for whatever reason have started to take the ship to Tarshish. And he's like, look, I got something for you. Some things that God asks us to do are going to be things that we don't want to do. But it's because God knows that through doing those things, through loving people that we might not want to love, through learning principles like uh, uh, trusting him, peace, generosity, humility, that in that space that we learn about how God created us, we learn about how he loves us, and we learn about how to share that with the rest of the world. God knows this, this story way better than we do. And so if you feel like you're a little bit on the run from God, maybe you've just crossed the center line in the back seat a few times, or maybe you snuck out the window. God's like, I'm here for you. Stop running away from me. People mistakenly think that this story of Jonah is a story about a big fish, when really I think it's more a story about a big God. A big God who's all about saving sinners. A big God who's always about providing a way for people as long as they're willing to turn to him. Jonah probably didn't deserve, probably deserved to be thrown overboard. He probably deserved to be eaten by a shark, not saved by a giant fish. But because God is all about saving sinners, he even saved Jonah. Weird way to do it, but he does. And that's why the story continues And and I hate to drop a spoiler here, but Jonah makes it out of that fish, and he gets a second try to run again, but this time towards God. Uh, We all run from God at some point in our life. We do. It's true, and and we run to different degrees. Like I said, maybe you're crossing the middle line. Maybe you're sneaking out the window. But God has done something much better for us than send us a big fish. God has sent us himself. God came in human form as Jesus. He said, listen, this is your way out. You deserve to be thrown off the ship. Maybe you've thrown yourself off the ship or under the bus or pick a metaphor. But God's like, I've got a way out for you. And it's Jesus. And the coolest thing is this. He's standing there like this with his arms open. He's like, I see you over there. I see you running. Turn around. Just stop. In fact, the word for that is repentance. When we turn away from running away from God and we turn towards him, the word for that is repentance. It's a change of heart that leads to our change in in action and lifestyle. And he says, come on back. Come on back. God created us to run. He did. In fact, I believe that's part of how he loves us. He created us to run because running involves choice. Because I can decide which direction I'm going to go. He said, I want you to run. I gave you a strong mind. I gave you a good intellect. I gave you your own free will. I want you to run. And I want you to choose to run to me. And he gave us the option to run in any other direction that we want to because he didn't want to force us to love him. And we'd be robots. He wants us to love him by our own decision. So what about you? Have you slipped up on a few little things? Have you maybe been running in the wrong direction for a while? Or you're just here right now for the first time and going, man, that story about the fish is deeper than I thought. 
What about you? Um, don't buy that ticket to Tarshish again. It goes nowhere. Let's get on path with God. Let's run with him. Don't wait for another storm. Maybe this is me. I'm the captain that's come down the hole and said, hey, wake up. Wake up. Call on your God. He'll save you. Run to him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to run back to you. Um, when each one of us deserves to be thrown into the sea, you give us a way out and you save us and you provide us with hope and you give us, um, I mean, the promises you give us are the promises of joy and peace and love and sometimes that seems like an imaginary concept in the world that we live in. Um, but you, but you, you provide that through Jesus. God, thank you for that. I pray for every person in this room, for our church family as we are as we're growing together day by day, um, that we can be a people who is not afraid to look our own sin in the eye and say, yeah, I chose that. <laughs> I did that, and I shouldn't have. But that we won't get lost in the self-wallowing of that, but instead we'll just stand up, we'll turn around, and we'll head back to you. Thank you for not making us get, get swallowed by fish, but instead giving us Jesus. Um, he's truly the author and the perfecter of this great plan you have for us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.